from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strasser, and this is your place to grow a business during complete global chaos. Today, we're going to talk about meat. Not meeting, but the actual concept of meat itself. And it's a very interesting discussion, if you ask me. First, though, remember, please download the Shark Bite Biz app on your Android device at the Google Play Store. Just search for Shark Bite Biz, and that's where you can find every single episode of the show, both audio and video, right there. Plus, you click on that little menu button, you'll see the coffee store option. Right there, you can get our fabulous brand of coffee, Dead House Coffee. But if you don't want to do it through the app, you can always head on right over to deadhousecoffee.com where you're going to get coffee that is roasted, sealed, and shipped within a 24-hour period right to your doorstep. And if you use code SHARK, you'll get 20% off. We'll get all the proceeds to keep making this show the biggest and best we possibly can. Back to today's show. An awesome new alternative meat company making waves in innovation. And to be honest, I think that it's a healthier alternative for some of those other alt-meat companies out there. And you'll hear why during our discussion in the interview. So who do we have today? None other than Mr. Paul Shapiro. Paul Shapiro is the author of the national bestseller, Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World, published by Simon & Schuster's Gallery Books in 2018. He is also the CEO of The Better Meat Co., a four-time TEDx speaker, and the host of Business for Good podcast, as well as a long time leader in food sustainability so hey without further delay let's bring paul right on in here creative and innovation tips paul welcome to shark bite biz you my friend you just became shark bait ah i can't believe it david (laughs) i knew that i wasn't feeling well uh great to meet it's really great to meet you here live, and uh, it's a real honor. So thanks so much, David. Oh, no problem. No problem. Thank you. You know, it's interesting because you are shark bait, uh, which is a, I guess you could say, a meat-based product in a way. And you have a kind of meat-free type of uh, company. So in the tradition of this show, I always love to hear, you know, I, I want to hear in your own words explain who you are what you do how'd you come up with the idea basically in a nutshell tell us you know who's paul shapiro and what do you do sure david so if you think about it like this the planet is only so big right you know we're not getting a bigger planet and the problem is humanity's footprint on the planet is getting a lot bigger so the planet isn't getting bigger and the principal way that we leave that footprint really is through our food print primarily in the amount of meat that we eat just takes a lot of land a lot of water, a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, and more to raise and slaughter billions and billions of animals for food. And not only is meat consumption increasing right now all over the world, but human population is also increasing. And so we're not going to be able to farm the moon. We're not going to be farming Mars. We have one celestial body to farm. 
And so if meat demand is rising now, and we're going to have billions more people in the coming decades, the question is, like, how are we going to get all of this land? It just takes vast amounts of land to produce meat from animals. Well, I would be thrilled if people wanted to just eat plants, if they want to eat bean and rice burritos and lentil soup and, um, you know, to eat hummus. Like, that's great. I love those foods. I wish more people would eat them. But people seem to really want meat. And so just in the same way that, you know, I would be thrilled if people wanted to walk and bike more, but people really like to drive. So we need to make cars that don't run on fossil fuels. We need to make meat that doesn't come from animals. And so that's what my company, The Better Meat Co. does, is we create meat experiences by harnessing the power of fermentation to turn microscopic fungi into high-protein, very nutritious, delicious, animal-free meat experiences that are better for you than meat, that taste as good as meat, and that have a tiny little fraction of the footprint that meat has on the planet. What about the footprint that, you know, plants have? I mean, for example, I I think uh, one part of the conversation that not a lot of people talk about is all the water, all the space that they need in order to make their almond milks. Uh, Ovid, you know, is, is from my understanding, again, I'm not a scientist or biologist or anything like that, but my understanding is, is that that's pretty much, depending on who you ask, just as bad or just as worse uh, in some instances as meat. Wayne, what's your take on that whole battle there? Uh, sure. Well, there's definitely uh, no doubt about it that it takes resources to grow pretty much any food. Uh, almond milk is still vastly better for the planet than cow's milk is. It's not that it doesn't have a footprint. I mean, this is why people, some people like oat milk as an example, because they favor it on taste. Also, um, oat milk is a much, much smaller footprint than almond milk. At the same time, uh, it's better than raising animals. And so, no, it's not that these products have zero footprint, but it is that they are better. They are better. It would be like saying, like, well, you know, a hybrid car still uses gas. It's true, it does, but it uses a lot less gasoline than driving a conventional car. And so the question isn't, can you be perfect? The question is, how can we reduce humanity's footprint on the planet so that we can not have to deforest the rest of the planet and drive even more wildlife into extinction just so that we can continue eating the way that we are. And that's what we're doing. The number one cause of wildlife extinction on the planet is raising animals for food, either to grow the crops for them all or to uh, raise the animals on pasture land themselves. So your company, you use fungi, you're saying. How did you come up with the idea of fungi instead of, you know, creating laboratory-born meat on the back of mice or, you know, like uh, some of those weird things that people do or, for example, even just uh, trying to make a more earth-friendlier, you know, plant-based solution. How did you come up with the fungi-based solution? Sure. So if you think about the meat experience, and if you don't want to raise and slaughter animals for it, there are really three things that you can do. One, you can turn plants into things that look like animal meat. That's what companies like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat are doing. They basically, mm-hmm. in the case of Beyond Meat, let's say they take peas and they convert them into things that look like beef. Um, if, if you don't want to use the plant kingdom, though, you can go to the animal kingdom. You can grow actual animal cells into real meat, not a meat alternative, not a meat substitute, but real actual animal meat. Sorry to interrupt you. That That is one of the most interesting things for me. I'm, I'm a meat eater. I love steaks. Uh, now, 
if it came from an organic cow, grass-fed cow, whatever you want to call it, you know, or it came from a laboratory, I don't think I would care so much as long as it tasted that good. But as as long as it was actually real meat that was grown, it just seems more attractive to me than, you know, the plant-based alternatives like the Impossible Burgers, where, I mean, to me, it's kind of questionable, some of those ingredients that they have on that label, you know, where it seems like what you have is a little bit more natural. Am I right? Well, first, you know, look, they're just taking peas and they're concentrating the protein down. And that's that's how you basically get a um, a uh, Beyond Burger with some other things in there. But it, it is it is it's a fine product. It's it's better for you than uh, animal-based beef. But at the same time, um, you know, look, I'm, I too am bullish on the space of, of growing what's called clean meat or cultivated meat, which is real animal meat. Sadly, it's not on the market in the United States yet. It will be, but it hasn't. It's, they're selling it in Singapore right now, but the U.S. government is not. I know I've sold it. Uh, Singapore, it's, it, is it chicken? Am I correct? Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed you know that, David. So yeah, there are several places in Singapore now where you can get uh, cultivated chicken meat that is grown by a U.S. company called Eat Just. And I write about them in my book, which is called Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World. But there is a third way. There's plants, there's the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, and then you also have the fungi kingdom. And what we at The Better Meat Co. do is grow microscopic fungi in fermenters and convert them into foods that are a whole food, all natural, highly nutritious and delicious product that we call Ryza mycoprotein that can take the place of animal-based meat. And so if you think about it, David, like a cow, you have to feed for more than a year before slaughtering her. And what's happening during that year is you're feeding the cow corn and soy, and the cow is converting that corn and soy in her, in her uh, stomachs via fermentation into a steak. It seems like magic to turn corn into steak, but that's what happens via fermentation in the cow's body. But we are harnessing that same power. Of, and what we do is ferment microscopic fungi. And instead of feeding them you know, soy, we feed them, let's say, potato byproducts or corn byproducts. And they convert them into foods that look like animal meat, except a cow, again, takes more than a year of feeding her before she's slaughtered. Whereas our little microscopic fungi, we harvest them in less than one single day, less than a single day. And so this is an extremely efficient process with a tiny footprint on the planet that can create a nutritious and delicious whole food that really is meat-like and high in protein and even higher in iron than beef. You say meat, you say meat-like. How meat-like is it? Um, the meat-like nature of it, when I say meat-like, I mean, it's not actually animal meat, but it's pretty darn hard to tell that it isn't. When you're eating it, you are really uh, in an experience. It's kind of like, you know, let me put it to you this way. Imagine, David, you walk into a room and you flick on a light switch and, you know, you get light. What you're after is an illuminated room. You're not wondering, oh, is this coming from coal or is it coming from oil or is it coming from solar or is it coming from wind? Like you just want light. That's right. And so, the same is so with meat. When most people eat meat, they're not sitting around thinking, ah, I'm so glad an animal was slaughtered for this. And they don't think about it at all. I mean, if they do think about it, they probably would prefer that an animal not be harmed for it. So if we can recreate that experience, whether you call it meat or something that's meat-like, I don't think it matters. Just like people just want light, they want that experience of the illuminated room. People just want that same satiating experience of meat that they crave. And that's what we're doing is recreating that experience so that we can divorce meat from livestock slaughter. You know, for thousands of years, the only way we had to get ice was out of the frozen body of water. 
Then we invented refrigeration and all of a sudden we had human made ice. And there were some people who railed against this technology. They referred to it as artificial ice. They said it was unnatural. It went against God. You know, and now, of course, we all have artificial ice makers in our home, all in freezers. We don't think there's anything unnatural about them. And we just go on with our lives that way. Uh, similarly, we take photographs, but we don't do it the same way we used to. Now we get our photos instantly rather than having to wait hours or days like we once did. We no longer have to capture souls, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, we, we used to have to go to a video store if you wanted to watch a movie. Now it's on demand to streaming. So we're getting the same experience. You still get to watch a movie. You still get to capture your memories. You still get to have light in the room. You still get to enjoy the meat experience. It's just done in a far more efficient way. And that's the future. And I have a sister that's a vegan. When they came out with the impossible burger at Burger King, I think that's probably when first time I can remember the, the real masses of people were able to try alternative types of, of meat. And we, you know, they, they had a special, I think it was like, Hey, you know, two for six or something like that. Get an impossible Whopper and a regular Whopper, you know, try them both. And we did that and we tried them both and they both tasted the same. The big difference I think to us came down to the Whopper itself. I guess you could say grittier. Like it just had a little bit more, you know, like meteor, um, like a little bit more texture. Whereas the impossible burger tusk, like on the outside, it looked good. But once you started chewing and stuff like that, it, it, it did feel softer to us. You know, we could tell the big difference. How does that compare to what you're doing with the fungi? You know, I would go so far as to say, if you contemplate the impossible Whopper, I mean, it's a truly amazing thing that this is on Burger King menus wide. And the fact is it's 90% less land and water to produce than it does to, uh, to make a regular Whopper. So uh, I would go so far as to say, look, if it's enjoyable, it's a lot better you're doing something that's better for, for the planet, you and for animals. All at the same time, I believe that we can do an even better job. I think we can do a good job, but I think we can do an even better job using fungi proteins rather than plant proteins. In their case, they're using soy proteins, or fine, but with fungi proteins, you get a whole food. You get something that is highly nutritious on its own, that you don't have to supplement it, you don't have to fractionate or isolate it. It's a whole natural food that is created through this ancient process of fermentation. And straight out of our fermenter, as soon as you harvest this meat from the fermenter, it has more protein than eggs. It's a complete protein, meaning it has all the essential amino acids, more iron than beef, more fiber than oats, more potassium than bananas. It naturally contains vitamin B12. It's a real superfood. And I think it's going to be the future of food. And that's why we at the Better Miko are working so hard to scale this fermentation system up so that we can have a river of our mycoprotein flowing through the food industry so that we can reduce the number of animals who we need to raise for food and therefore create a much better relationship that we have with the rest of the planet. Every time you say the word ferment, I think of alcohol. I don't know why. I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. It's probably the first use of fermentation in human history. So, you know, look, we uh, the first biotech foods were like alcohol and yogurt, essentially, because we're using the microbes to convert one thing to another. That's what fermentation is. You're converting one thing into another. In the case of alcohol, you know, you're using 
brewers yeast, you're feeding it sugar, it consumes a sugar and it excretes alcohol. That's how you get beer or wine, et cetera. Well, what we're doing though, is not using, we're using a different type of microorganism. And instead of producing alcohol, it produces this really delicious, succulent, meat textured protein product. And that is the difference. And so we're using fermentation, but it's a very different kind of fermentation than what you would use to, let's say, make beer. So how far along is, again, I come into these interviews always blissfully ignorant because I come in genuine curiosity, wanting to learn about you as an individual, as well as your company and the journey that you've, you've taken. So the Better Meat Co company, how, how many products do you have out there? Like, what would you say is your, your specialty right now? So we are a B2B ingredients company. We're partnered with big food companies like Hormel Foods, where they use our ingredients to develop really cool products. And so Hormel now, for example, has a line of products called Happy Auto Plants. Now, of course, Hormel are the fake folks who bring you spam, but they also have their own plant-based meat line. Uh, similarly, we're partnered with Purdue Farms, which is the major chicken giant, and they put out a product that's called Purdue Chicken Plus uh, that has better meat co-ingredients in it. And so uh, these are just a couple of our partnerships, and we're looking forward as we continue to grow this company to be able to supply the huge food companies with ingredients that they need to help them use fewer animals. I don't know. That's, that's great. So you're pretty much focusing with the B2B as far as going to the the main producers and again you're you're in a new industry it's kind of i don't want to say unproven because you know like you've said people have been using fermentation and stuff like that for thousands of years but in this manner i think it's a little bit more unproven than than some other areas how hard was it knocking on doors like Purdue or Hormel and to be like, hey, you know, we have a great alternative for you that's going to be better than the other alternative meats? Like, how did you strategize getting those partnerships? Well, uh, we are a small company, but we're a small company that's doing big things. And we've always dreamt big, and that's not wanting to work with the biggest food companies. And so, uh, when I started this company four years ago, uh, I knew that this was not a company where we wanted to just be a niche player. We wanted to be a, in, in the large scale protein industry to actually make a difference in the world. And so rather than trying to work with like, you know, individual restaurants or cafes, we went straight to the biggest food companies, including the producers of the world. Some of them said no, some of them said yes. And so when we inked a deal with Purdue Farm, we were only employees of our company, myself included. And so we were this brand new company with three, four year inking a deal with a multiplayer uh, giant that has been around for generations. We we're very proud of that. And Purdue is a good partner to us and still, still is to this day. And so I think that you know, some people um, suffer from a poverty of ambition where they think that, well, they can only do so much, they can only accomplish so much. And too often, the barriers that we place on ourselves are mental. They aren't actual. They're just in our minds. And we dreamt big, and we're going big, and that's what we're going to do. Okay. So with that, then, how long do you see that stretch, and how big is that going to get? I mean, do you think that the, you're, you're going to see it to where you know, your, your products mixed in like, like a half chicken, half 
you know, your product type mix, like a 50, 50 mix. I mean, what, what's the vision, the ultimate goal? If you don't mind me asking, I don't mind you asking David. And that is, that is part of our goal. So the product that Purdue sells is called Purdue chicken plus, and it's 50% chicken, 50% plant-based. So if you can't get your kids to eat their veggies, but they like eating chicken nuggets, you feed them that instead. In fact, these chicken nuggets that produce with better meat co ingredients were rated by the Food Network as the number one best tasting frozen chicken nugget in America. So if you think about that, the number one tasting frozen chicken nugget in America is only 50% chicken. Imagine if all chicken nuggets could be only 50% chicken, you would need hundreds of millions, if not maybe a billion fewer chickens, which means that you could free up huge amounts of land and other resources. You could reduce calories, cholesterol, saturated fat in the American diet, all without people having to switch. You don't need to switch. And so that's a big benefit of blending and going hybrid on these type of products. So I'm a big believer in it. At the same time, we also need to create not just hybrids, but the equivalent of the all-electric. And that's a tougher bar to meet, but do it. And so we also are working on many applications where our customers can make fully animal-free meats and create really succulent experiences for their consumers. Which one of the two? So I really like the analogies that you're using because I think for the common person out there that's not really into this type of stuff, they, you know, they're able to relate to those types of analogies so much easier the way that you're using it and the terminologies that you're using, like the hybrid versus, you know, the the full blown. Um, with that, I mean, realistically, how long until you think that, uh, you know, a good section of our meat is going to be, you know, hybrid at some level, you know, what's your future prediction of the meat market in the U S uh, sure. So I think that for the time being, uh, animal slaughter is here to stay at the same time. Just because we've been slaughtering animals for thousands of years doesn't mean that we will do it in perpetuity as well. You know, for nearly all of our history as a photographing species, we were photographing in a very particular way with negatives and gelatin film and so on. Um, And so there were some companies in the photography wars like Kodak, which knew about digital, but they were very concerned that it was going to cannibalize their core business of all the chemicals and darkroom stuff and everything you needed back then. And you had other people in the space like Canon, which said, yeah, I think this is going to cannibalize our core business, but I think it's also the way of the future. And so we all know what happened. Kodak declared bankruptcy and Canon is now the largest manufacturer of digital cameras on the planet. And so this is a good example of companies that have their head in the sand and they say, hey, we've been doing it one way for a long time. We're always going to do it this way. They'll fail. Whereas forward thinking companies, companies that embrace innovation, even at the risk of cannibalizing current business models are going to succeed. And so Canon is a great example of that. And in the meat industry, I think the same is true. You have some meat companies, which are the Kodaks of their industry, very big dominant players now, but they're not gonna be dominant in the future because they don't embrace innovation. And innovation means removing animals. And I think a lot of, there's a lot of history about that with embracing innovation. I mean, Blackberry, for example. I mean, at one point it was, everybody called it Crackberry. You know, they were addicted to it. Did not keep up to, with the times. iPhone came out. Still, they kept with the keyboard, kept with the little scrolly ball and all that stuff. They didn't innovate and they ended up being dead. And that has happened to company after company after company that has not innovated. So. I mean, I've kind of 
the the meat industry is something that is it's almost ancient i would say the meat the food industry so for them to be wanting to innovate realizing like hey if we don't do this it's going to be the death of us i think that's a pretty big statement right there yeah i think that's true and you know in the past like we've thought about protein as really being synonymous with you know a hunk of flesh from a once living animal's body in the future i think I have a very more interesting and diverse definition of protein. Sure, there'll still be animal protein, but there will also be protein coming from animal cells, coming from plant proteins, coming from microbial proteins, fungi proteins, et cetera. And we're going to have a far more interesting culinary experience in the world when we can diversify our protein sources. So it's not only better for the world, I think it'll also make culinary experiences all the more interesting. Right, right. So I've got to ask you, we have time for one final question here, I think, uh, to kind of wrap up. What really sent you on this journey as far as starting this, going down this route, starting this company, and really trying to revolutionize the meat industry? Well, several things, David. First and foremost, I've always been concerned about animals and I really hate seeing them suffer. So I, I would love to find ways to prevent the need to uh, harm animals. So, you know, we used to light our homes with whale oil. We killed a lot of whales to light our homes and then we invented kerosene and we no longer were reliant on exploiting whales. Kerosene then was displaced by electric light bulbs and so on. Uh, you know, we used to whip horses to force them to carry us around the cities. And now we don't use horses labor anymore. Now we have cars. And so the list goes on and on of things that we were doing to animals that were bad for them that we were stopped because of technological advancements. But at the same time, it goes so far beyond animal welfare. We cannot sustainably feed humanity, independent of how we treat animals, we cannot sustainably feed humanity a meat-based diet as if we're producing meat in the same way that we do today. We have to create a new, cleaner meat industry. And that is really what motivates me because human population is only going to continue rising for the next few decades. And demand for meat is going to keep rising on a per person basis and a raw basis as well. So what can we do? Like, should we deforest the rest of the Amazon? I don't think so. I think that we should figure out ways to more efficiently produce meat. And this is one way to do it. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's a great story. Very uh, motivating. Love it. Please do me a favor. Tell us, how can people reach out to you? How can they find out more about the Better Meat Company? That's so nice of you, David. So if you're interested in the Better Meat Co., first of all, we are hiring. So visit our website at bettermeat.co. Again, that's bettermeat.co. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested in reading my book, it's called Clean Meat. You can buy it on Amazon or anywhere else that books are sold. If you want to go to the book's official website, it's just cleanmeat.com. Okay, perfect. Hey, Paul, thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you for sharing your story, your analogies. I got to tell you what, for such a complex uh, subject, your analogies really bake the cake. Cheers, Thanks, David. Digital fist bump. There we go. Wow, that was an incredible chat with Paul, right? First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked some warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out because you know Shark Bite Biz is the best kept secret out there in the world of business, please share us out to your friends, your families, your colleagues, to anywhere you dwell out there in the interwebs, whether Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Minds, Rumble, Odyssey, all those places. Let's get that out there. I'd love nothing more than Paul Shapiro 
clean meat, better meat co and shark bite biz out there trending. Now let's get back to our rock star guest, Paul Shapiro. I purposefully waited to publish this episode for Memorial Day for a specific reason. Why? Well, because everybody out there, I mean, for the most part, you're probably grilling meat right now. I mean, I'm going to be grilling up some sausages and some hot dogs and burgers tomorrow. Or if you're vegan, maybe you're doing jackfruit or something like that. But the thing is, is that it's a very potent day, I guess you could say, to be talking about meat as a substance and companies that are out there trying to change the way that we consume food. Now, I'm not big. If you've listened to the show, you know, I'm not huge on alternative meats. I don't want to name all the companies, stuff like that. But they, you know, take a look at that ingredient list. And it's like, if you've got to put that much stuff in there to mimic what a slice of burger tastes like maybe your product isn't for me i'm more of the natural organic type meat type fruit all that stuff that's what i love and when i see a list of ingredients that has more than just beef you know it makes me a little nervous and that's where i really enjoyed our my conversation with Paul and what Paul and I were discussing about because Paul's approach, I mean, dude is using fungi to recreate foods that we love in a more sustainable way, a healthier way. And without those, all you know, added alternative ingredients to, for the most part, I'm, I'm sure that there's probably some if you look, but I have not looked, so I can't say that positively, but. It is a much better approach to alternative meats than what I'm seeing with all these other companies. Anyways, it is Memorial Day. Go out there, spend your time with your family, your friends, grilling, whether it is the Better Meat Co's type burgers, whether it is other types of food. Go out there, have fun, community, socialize, have some drinks. I've got one right here for the pre-memorial day weekend party (laughs) but as always awesome stuff paul i really do love your innovative approach to alternative meats it's something that is to me i think it's the future i mean unfortunately you know having beef for everybody they're talking about wheat shortages all that stuff i mean we really gotta think about a growing population how do you feed so many people because Having cows, having pigs, having, you know, sheep takes land, you know, and is there going to be enough for everybody globally? That's easily where a company like Paul's company, the Better Me Co., can come in and fill a huge gap with some awesome tasting food. Thank you so much for sending me a copy of your book as well to Clean Meat. I am going to be reading this. I urge you to go out there, get it off Amazon and uh, read the book. It's really, really, really good stuff. So question of the day. What are your thoughts on alternative means? Fan, skeptic, you know, I'd love to hear your opinion. Do you want to be in the show? Please shoot out an email to interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. 
If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to join the channel. $3 a month, you can become a baby shark and support us. Or if you don't want to give money through Big Tech, head on right over to DeadHouseCoffee.com. Use code SHARK. You'll get 20% off your fresh coffee bean order. We'll get the proceeds to continue doing what we're doing here. Again, on Memorial Day, I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. 